0: This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We've got a really fantastic episode for you. It starts with an interview with Lieutenant Governor Candidate Annette Tadeo, who's Charlie Crist's running mate, and up for election in the August 26th primary throughout the state of Florida and in Miami-Dade County. Later, at the top of the hour, we are going to have the gentleman from Afro Roots Fest Uh, Jose Elias, the director of Community Arts and Culture, Inc., a nonprofit, is the organizer of Afro Roots, along with Juan Turos from Suenelo and O.J. Smith from The Resolvers, both of whom will be playing at the Afro Roots Fest this Friday night, August 9th. Then, at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, we'll have the sports hour with Drastic Fanatic. Each week on the Only in Miami show, I appreciate that you, the listening audience, give me a few minutes to indulge myself and... Share my opinions, my thoughts on issues that are affecting everybody in South Florida or particularly in the city of Miami. And right now, one of the proposed white elephant projects has has had some major activity, and that is Jeff Berkowitz's Skyrise. The Skyrise proposal is to put a 1,000-foot tall anatomically shaped tower into the harbor of the Bayside Mall. Somehow that project was approved and put into referendum by our commission with very limited discussion to create a virtually free submerged land lease in the Bayside Marketplace's boat docks and to create a referendum that would renew Bayside for 99 years exactly as it is without requiring anything of the current uh, the, the current owner, the current management company, and in addition to approve the Skyrise project as well. Personally, I think it's a tragic mistake. The Skyrise project has all the earmarks of a white elephant and all the makings of a potential liability for the city and possibly even the state or county or worse. Because it's located on the water, the Skyrise would require extreme maintenance, maintenance, Well above a building that was simply located on land or located on land near water. And if the project doesn't work out and the developer becomes insolvent and declares bankruptcy in the federal court system, that's it. You, me, your neighbor, possibly your neighbor's dog, we're all on the hook. We will all be on the hook for this skyrise white elephant sitting smack and prime real estate in the middle of our city. And something will have to be done at that point. We'll have to operate it or tear it down, or merely have endless, useless debates and spend vital money that could go to things like firefighters, police, teachers, roads, schools, anything on dealing with this white elephant and losing money on Bayside for another 99 years. It's my personal opinion that anybody who sees this referendum item should vote against it on August 25th at the primaries. This Tuesday, August 25th, may be our only chance to stop it. However, Charles Corda, a local resident, filed an appeal basically saying that the referendum item is illegal because referendum items must address only a single subject. And recently there was a hearing. At the hearing, the judge did something very unusual. Typically, these hearings tend to have arguments and then responses, motions, etc. In this case, the judge, before having heard even a single argument in court, merely based on the brief of the appellate, Charles Corda, issued a final ruling in favor of Skyrise and Bayside and in favor of keeping the referendum on the ballot, even though it clearly has one building that exists, and one building that doesn't exist. But as Mr. Corda said, in actuality, the end result of yesterday's hearing might turn out to be the best thing that could have happened because he already filed his notice of appeal to the 3rd District Court of Appeals. That means that the matter is going to be heard by the appeals court before the election, which he said would have happened anyway. That being said... At this moment, the item is still on the ballot. That means that for Miami residents, for city of Miami residents, it's crucial that you mark August 25th on your calendar and show up to the primary because this ballot question has the potential to reshape downtown Miami's waterfront for decades to come. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter, at Grant Stern, and I'd love it if you tweet me. And check us out online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. That's where all of our podcasts, SoundCloud, iTunes, blogs, and more reside. We'll be right back with an interview with Annette Tadeo. Only in Miami. This is the Only in Miami show and I'm your host Grant Stern. We're here in studio with Annette Tadeo. She is the lieutenant governor candidate running alongside Charlie Crist and she wants to be the next lieutenant governor of the state of Florida. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio today.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
0: So let's start off by introducing you to the audience. Tell me a little bit about how your political career started in Miami-Dade County.
1: My political career started in Miami-Dade County just being active in the party and really being um, uh, uh, active by participating, volunteering, uh, fundraising. And uh, it started with uh, what happened with Al Gore and the 2000 debacle and realizing that even one vote, you know, it just really hit home about how one vote really counts. And I got much more involved after that, although I was already active and involved before that.
0: Right. I I found that most people have one seminal event Mm -hmm. that draws them in. I was actually at that rally on South Beach at midnight.
1: Really? Well, you know, for me, honestly, uh, politics started in college. Um, I ran for student government secretary and um, it was I I lost that election. It was not a good uh, experience. I ran for student government secretary. Put posters all over the school. Now, mind you, it was University of North Alabama. Okay. And so, the day of the election, the posters were uh, vandalized, and it no longer said "an for secretary," it said "an for deportation." Ooh. So, at a very young age, you know that really, um, it was it was not a pleasant experience. But I am um, happy that it happened because it really made me who I am today. It made me want to fight uh, for the rights of others, want to uh, succeed in business, which I have. Um, so tell, that I could tell really, our audience a little yep. bit
0: about what you do yeah. in your private life. Yeah, no, and that's life.
1: how the whole idea for the business really got started. I started translating for the Tennessee Valley Authority, and that experience made me realize the importance of all of us communicating um, in other languages. We're in a global economy, and so my business is a translation business, and I've been very successful at it. Um, however throughout the success you always have your rough times um, and I certainly know uh, what it's like to go to a bank and try to get a loan and be turned down I also know um, that as a woman you know that they would ask for my husband's information and his signature when he has nothing to do with my business I was Pro- already successful be- in business before, before I co- married uh, him yeah. Yeah. <laughs> before I even met him oh my so anyway so you know these experiences as a as a woman business owner, as a minority business owner, I think are something that also bring additional strength uh, and, and things that we need in Tallahassee. Just regular person trying to make it with a small business.
0: Yeah, Tallahassee <laughs> is certainly an interesting town. I lived there for a couple of years as a college student. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Tallahassee right now and for quite a long time, you know, really has been run by special interests, lobbyists, uh, big corporations are the ones uh, running the show, and we need regular people that know those struggles of meeting a payroll and and what it's like because we we can't afford lobbyists. We don't have anybody up there lobbying for us. So I'm proud to be a part of the People's Ticket to represent the people and not the special interests.
0: Now, I'd like it if you tell our audience a little bit about your more recent activities in Miami-Dade County because this is a Miami show. This is the yeah, only, Miami only show. in Miami. <laughs> um, and and I know that you've been very active in the party, but our audience may not yeah. know. So yeah. tell our audience. Yeah, no, about I,
1: that. I, I ran for Congress in 2008 against Ileana Rosletin, and that's really the real political, you know, all feed-in kind of experience. And uh, it was it it was a a very good race, very good showing, both raising money and with votes over 100,000 votes. The first real race, to be honest with you, that Eliana had. Since she in first a had a, she's, she only had one when she first got elected in a special election. Um, so this, and this, I think she's running unopposed opposed this term yes, as well. Exactly. I mean, she's a very strong, very well liked, um, congresswoman and it, it took a lot, um, to go after her sure. and, uh, to have oh, the guts. So, I mean, anybody who, who questions my, my, my ability to take on tough things, uh, that certainly proved it. So and and from then I became the the chair of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party. Right after we reelected Barack Obama, I was very active in the reelection of the president. I took a leave of absence from my job to dedicate to the campaign. I was one of the you know top media surrogates, both in English and Spanish, but a lot of it Hispanic media, and um, and just you know got to know the team, and the ground game, and what a wonderful. Job it is, and how different it is to run a race when you go door to door and uh, phone call to phone call, neighbor to neighbor. And that's what we're doing with this race as well. We have pretty much a lot of the Obama team that was here in Florida during the re election, and we're running it very much uh, like a ground game. And we need to because we're up against $100 million of special interest money.
0: Now, you mentioned $100 million of special interest money, but as a taxpayer and as a resident of this state, To me, the most important question is the $51 billion question, and that's the amount of money that Governor Scott, Rick Scott, the sitting governor of Florida, left on the table Mm -hmm. when his administration elected not to expand Medicare, along with the legislature, I imagine.
1: Yeah, no, it should be a crime, what he's done um he turned down this money that it's it's money by the way that we send up to Washington so it's our money from our tax dollars um, that's Well we're that, we're a net spending state yes, correct we send I've, more money to Washington because than it we comes don't back. receive it back and, and but they've tried i mean the obama administration has tried to bring it back we they wanted to give us the bullet train which would have been awesome uh, for us to have Uh, To be able to go to Orlando from Miami, to be able to go from Orlando to Tampa, the tourism industry certainly would have loved it. And, um, of course, we have a governor that just only listens to the Tea Party and the extremism. And anything that comes from Washington, they think is tainted just because it's Obama's. And as a matter of fact... Thank goodness that Charlie Crist took the stimulus money. He was punished for it by the Tea Party, but he took the stimulus money because we needed that money. And by the way, that was also our money. (laughs) It is our money, yes. So, you know, I'm glad that he took it because it allowed us to get out of this global recession we were in. um, It allowed us to breathe, and it allowed us to not have to fire teachers. Um, 20,000 teachers uh, we saved. I mean, which teachers would Rick Scott would have fired? Um, I mean, how do you pick and choose? How you know which kids deserve, um, you know, for their teacher to be fired? Um, I just think that again, the whole priorities are backwards. I'm I'm really happy about the opportunity for us to turn the whole thing around and uh, return the governor's office to the people.
0: Now, your running mate Charlie Crist has held the governor's office in the past. Mm-hmm. What is it that is most important for? our electorate in considering him as a candidate to be our next governor what's the signature issue for your campaign
1: well it's education i mean we without education we we have nothing i mean this is education of our kids college education that's where our state becomes one of the top states in the country and by the way when he was governor we were 10 in the in the nation as far as our educational system And we still had a lot to go because I think we should be number one. But um, we were in the top 10. Now we're number 33. Wow. That says it all. Exactly. And I have an eight-year-old in public school. I know, I know all the struggles we go through. And we're lucky in Miami-Dade County. we, We decided to invest in the schools ourselves. The voters went to the polls and said, you know what? We believe our kids should have better education. They should have... More technology in the classroom. So now, because we did that in Miami-Dade County, and I advocated for it, we're going to have, you know, uh, boards, the touch screen boards. I mean, as a kid, think about it; it's going to be so cool. And there, we're going to have iPads. Wait at the a school minute, for you mean kids. they're
0: actually going to educate the children instead of having them babysat?
1: <laughs> well, not just that; we are in a we're in a situation where, you know, the state, and this is the decision that comes at the state level. There's so much testing that our kids are really being educated to a test rather than really learning. And so, and I, and I'm all for testing. Of course, we got to know, are they learning? Where are they lacking? But it's gotten to the extreme to where all we're doing is teaching a test. We're not talking to our teachers and to the parents about what's best for the kids. So, I mean, there's just a lot that we can do by getting our priorities straight and making sure that education is top of that. This year, we actually finally had a budget surplus. And what it... Uh, uh, uh,
0: The state had a budget surplus. The state had a budget surplus. And
1: what happens, Rick Scott gives tax breaks to corporations, to his friends, his connected friends, and the the big corporations that are there in Tallahassee running the show. And, you know, he did invest, reinvest some of the money he took away from education (laughs) because it's an election year. But we should have a governor that invests all the time, throughout the whole four years, not just in an election year when you want to get reelected and you realize, oh, crap, I got to <laughs> I got to pretend that I care about education. I so, don't know
0: that that sounds to me like uh, the dog story. You know what I'm talking about? Governor Scott adopted a dog. For the oh last my election, gosh. And then. <laughs> sent him back off yeah i was to, like oh uh, this rescue. dog idea
1: yeah, yeah i guess he wanted to seem more human but honestly he, you know he, i don't know it's a little odd
0: when you have to seem more human by adopting a dog i mean well uh, Mitt romney got in a lot of trouble for the way he treated his dog too yes
1: yes yes i and by the way i'm a huge dog lover i have four dogs
0: oh same here I, I have
1: one and a half dachshunds let's call it oh cute i have one dachshund
0: i have a goddaughter oh
1: well you know um I, you know, just going back to Charlie Crist, I, I want to tell you that that's how, uh, you know, I measured Charlie. I measured Charlie by his deeds. And when he was governor, when push came to shove and he had to make decisions that at that time he was a Republican and his party was pushing him to make decisions that they thought were right for the Republican party, he was like, no, I'm going to make the right decision for the people. So this, you know, I remember us as Democrats, we were so happy when he, you know, vetoed education bills that would have, you know, been horrendous for teachers. When he extended the voting lines in 2008, when we were all, especially in Miami, we were in line for hours and people were still wanting to vote. And he was like, you know what, let's extend the hours. And he signed an executive order extending the hours so people could vote. Now, what did the Republicans do? They were furious. They were like, you just helped elect.
0: President Barack Obama but but wait a second this is an important issue and I think this is a very important statewide issue which is access to polls yes Um, right now there's a lot of restrictions can you tell me a little bit about the early voting restrictions that uh, Governor Scott enacted
1: you know they they did everything they could and they continue to do everything they can to suppress the vote Um, in 2012 and and by the way why is that important to suppress the vote Why, why is that their strategy because the only way they can win is to um, to suppress us, um, especially Miami voters, minority voters from the polls. They that, know like they people can't. in urban areas where yes. there's a lot
0: more voters and not so many polling stations
1: a, and long lines. Um, certainly, you know, African-Americans, for example, love to go to the polls on Sunday. What did they do? They stopped Sunday before Election Day polling because it was the famous souls to the polls day. You know, um, there's so something they, they ironic about that. Yeah.
0: There's something really ironic about that. Early in the United States history, yeah. all elections used to be held on Sundays yeah. as a way of saying that there is no established religion.
1: Yes, and <laughs> so there's there's it, a real irony there, yeah, it, especially it, for a Tea Party. But it, think about it; they member. did specifically the Sunday when it's traditionally souls to the polls day. So they did everything they could to make sure Barack Obama didn't get reelected. Now, now what they're doing is um, again, suppressing the vote, um, going through the voter rolls and saying, "Oh my gosh, um, let's try to see if some of these Which Hispanics was by the
0: Department yes, of Justice." Yes, and, and
1: you know they they specifically took out a bunch of Hispanics, um, Hispanic names, and questioned them to see if they were actually eligible to vote. We in Miami found only one person who was not who was a schizophrenic. I mean, you know, so I mean, <laughs> and they spend all this money, all this money trying to find these people, you know, yes, these people that were supposedly voting and not eligible to vote because, you know, us Hispanics couldn't possibly be legal. (laughs) So it's like that attitude uh, towards us. uh, And and it's just, you know, lack of understanding of our communities. But more importantly, when at any cost kind of situation, which is what we're dealing with
0: that's that's pretty sad we're gonna take a really short break and we'll be right back this is the only in miami show Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and we're here with Lieutenant Governor Candidate Annette Tadeo, who's running with Charlie Crist to be the next Lieutenant Governor of the state of Florida. Thank you so much for joining us in studio,
1: Annette. Thank you. Thank you. Having a lot of fun. (laughs) Great.
0: So we were talking about the difficulties that Florida voters are having in actually casting their votes and that the state is putting a few roadblocks in there. Do you think that ultimately this could lead to our state being covered by the Voting Rights Act?
1: I don't know, but I do know that um, that uh, Eric Holder sent a letter to the Scott administration letting them know that they were watching them and watching everything that they were doing because we know what they tried to do uh, just, you know, two years ago with the re- re-election of the president. So so at least we're watching and somebody's watching because, it, you know, I, I have been in Miami-Dade County— um, at County Hall, fighting, <laughs> you know, first uh, meeting with the supervisor of elections about the whole re precincting process. This is something that happens every 10 years. And we just have. Just like some, redistricting, yeah. Yes, just like redistricting, districting, but this is re precincting. We have some precincts that have thousands and thousands of voters and some precincts that have just very few voters. My precinct just has like 100 and something voters. Wow. So, so what happens is I go vote and there's zero line. Sure. Um, and then these predominantly minority African American precincts have Higher the long lines, exactly. Areas and, and so it just and Brickell, Brickell is a perfect example. They just have huge density, huge lines. Um, this is you know in, in South Dade, African American, North Dade, African American areas It's just inexcusable. Well, well,
0: Not just that. I mean, I can give you a great example in my own neighborhood. I live in Miami's East Side yes. near downtown, and the polling station that I go to living east of Biscayne Boulevard today mm-hmm. uh, rarely has a line, although there are a lot of voters. It's all yeah. high rises, yeah. and you know, there's a lot of voters on the rolls, and I did see actually incredibly long lines when I was there as a poll watcher in 2012. Wow. Um, however, if you live west of Biscayne Boulevard, and there's a fairly growing population there west of Biscayne Boulevard now, you have to go to a firehouse that has about one or two parking spaces, and maybe two polling venues, and I bet that covers most of the Overtown area as well.
1: Well, I'm happy to report that because of all the meetings and all the fights that that, um, I I personally have with the mayor of Miami-Dade County, in Miami-Dade County at least, we have expanded the voting uh, places for early voting in November, Uh, so there will be more polling places to go vote early before Election Day, and because I fought, they did a partial re of the largest precincts. So, again, these are the kinds of things you asked me how active and what have I been doing. I've been fighting for voting rights. I've been fighting for people to not have to stand in line. And then we also have the fight of the bathrooms. Um, you know, I don't know if you heard, they, they actually send a letter uh, to some of the representatives that represent people Um, who are in wheelchairs or uh, elderly or they really wanted to know the bathroom accessibility for voters. And they said uh, nobody was going to be able to go to the bathroom. What? (laughs) Yes. And this was highly publicized once we found out. And then we started the fight. And I will tell you, that fight's still going on um, about the bathroom accessibility. We have a lot of elderly that are on certain education and they have to go to the bathroom and certainly, if they have to stand in line, um, if they're going to be there a while, we don't want so, anybody so having to go home. So you're saying that
0: if somebody wants to vote right now, as it stands, you got to cross your
1: legs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I That's just a little odd. Yeah, no, but, but this a is a new. Issue. This is another fight. This is another fight, and it's just uh, un, you know unbelievable that we're having to have these fights now because we've brought it to the news and to the media and everything to everybody's attention. Um, we fixed it somewhat, um, and they did say the bathrooms were going to be accessible. The problem is all the people that vote at churches. Some of these churches um, don't have to follow ADA, ADA compliance. Sure. So, or their grandfather and Yes, and, and so I suggested that they bring in, you know, uh, you know, porta b- right? potties especially for handicapped people and things like that. So, so there are solutions and things that we are trying to bring to the table to ensure that People can vote. Obviously, I I also suggest people vote by mail. Um, It's you know it's it's a it's a it's a it's a much easier way to vote. However, you know obviously we have to look out for all those people that want to fill out your ballot (laughs) and tell you how to vote or tell you sign here and then you know these there's been yes and so I'm happy to say that the PBA at least for now for the primary um, has put out a reward for anybody who lets them know of anyone. Uh, that, collecting that's the ballots. Pe- Police benevolence yes, association. Yes. So they are. Since our own government <laughs> is not doing anything about it. Well, they uh, are. Our, our
0: district attorney doesn't prosecute much, but she does seem to do these IP. You know, they look up the the internet protocol address if they don't like the person, and they yeah. go out there and say, "Oh, this person drew some absentee ballots from their office." Yeah. Um. Actually, one of my pet ideas that. I think they're doing in Oregon right now for all elections statewide and national is to do 100 percent absentee ballot. What do you think about that?
1: You know, it's it's something uh, to look at. It's cheaper. Um, And, um, you know, but again, here in Miami-Dade County and throughout Florida, we really have to be concerned about the problems we have. So we first have to fix the problems of the elderly communities that are taking they're taking advantage of them. Um, a lot of them in the comedores in, in, in Miami where, you know, their vote is pretty much um, counted on, especially by the Republicans. So we so we have to watch out. But I I, I think technology like- needs to be looked at as well. I mean, there's just a lot of things. I'm a very open minded person and Charlie Chris is as well. And we just need to look at solutions to enhance voting rather than try to suppress voting. We should be asking people to be a party. Can you imagine if we had almost 100% participation in our voting process? You know, I just
0: feel (laughs) like most local candidates especially, and this is something that's controlled by the state, Mm -hmm. but it impacts every single locality. Most local candidates spend the bulk of their money, once they're indoctrinated and maybe have lost Mm -hmm. an election, by doing grassroots and phone calling and networking, um, they spend most of their resources on absentee ballot, you know, issuance.
1: There's a yes. There's a just a lot of resources that we're using, but you know, like I said, we have an open mind about a lot of things. Um, we believe in looking at new technologies, new things, which is again. I I just be, I know we have to go real soon, and I want to make sure that I get in science. Uh, you know. Let's talk about yeah. Let's it. What, talk about what, that what because about we believe in science, and as science a matter of cool. fact, <laughs> I know, uh, you know, and when Charlie Chris was governor, he actually um starting invest started investing in new technologies new ways to create jobs we believe in the sun and solar energy imagine we are the sunshine state and we are not the state that is the you know that in, this That's investing we should have every solar, yeah. home with solar panels imagine how great that would be but of course we have a a, a bit of um of a monopoly when it comes to our energy uh, uh, providers and, and, and that actually
0: brings up an important topic locally mm-hmm. that's controlled by the state, and that yep. is a, a set of high transmission power Absolutely. lines. Absolutely, and I, I don't know all the details because I live up here up north, so yes. I'm not like involved in the fight. But it I grew affects up in all of us. Areas. Yes, it
1: affects all of us. And, and so Rick Scott just just approved. Um, what did he approve? They, they approved for us for FPL to put these horrendous. Uh, High-powered, uh, you know, the the, the, the
0: overhead, the, the catenary towers, the really large, like what, one hundred and fifty. Right. It's, it's horrible.
1: It, it really is horrible. Right along US one, all the way down, and again, it's just all the way just, down US one, all from the way where? down US one, and, and and I don't know. The last time you were on US one, the traffic. Can you imagine as they try to build these things? In in addition <sighs> I mean, to I how it's going to affect. Maybe they
0: would build. A train going the rest of the way down US-1 <laughs> no. one, one day.
1: I know, but then again, we don't take federal dollars because we don't like Obama, right? I mean, it's just like we go back to that. But but it's just it's just silly, some of the stuff that's going on. And the worst thing is that they're they're making policies based on what's good for a corporation, not what's good for us. Um the best way to reduce our our energy prices and our you know the cost of electricity at our home is to allow for new technologies, new solar energy investment, um, and the jobs that we would create. But going back to the science, this is perfect. This is what I'm talking about. Believing in new ways to create jobs, we have a governor right now who said, "I am not a scientist." I don't believe in science. And so he's not even willing to sit down with the scientists who said, we are coming to see you and we want to sit down with you. He said, no. Charlie Chris said, you know what? I may not be a scientist, but I can use my brain and listen to you guys. So he sat down with them and listened to them. And and we're feeling that right here in Miami where, you know, the water is is constantly a problem in, Miami, in Miami Beach. Especially Beach, yeah. And so we're seeing it with our own two eyes. I wonder if when Rick Scott goes to the doctor and they tell him you need to take this medicine because you're sick, he says, you know what, I'm not going to take it because I'm not a doctor. And actually, that's pretty Rick much what Scott, he's saying. Rick Scott
0: may not believe in medicine. I don't know if you saw that infamous deposition. <laughs> he doesn't um, believe in anything. He just doesn't but, know but, anything. But Rick Scott <laughs> basically said, I don't know what a hospital chain is. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and, and that was pretty scary. But, but there's actually a major medical issue. Besides... Expanding Medicare um, to create more coverage through Obamacare for Florida's poor and working poor. Working poor. Uh, Many of them working poor. Yeah. And that is the medical marijuana amendment. It's uh, item two. Yes. And it is on the ballot. It's official, so people know. You still have to go out and vote for this thing one way or another. Yep. Um, Although the last poll that I saw, there was 88%... Overwhelming. uh, Support. 88% support. Yes. But Florida already has medical marijuana in a limited fashion um they actually passed just now passed a very very very, very limited.
1: limited and you know and i have to tell you i i think we're both for it charlie chris and i um we believe that we should trust our doctors but more importantly you know i'm a mom of a little girl my little girl is healthy and thank goodness i can't imagine as i, I have to tell you as a parent you would go to any length to make sure your child is well and better. And these parents should not be going to jail or being prosecuted because they're trying to make their kids feel better. Or even as, a, as an uncle or a, or a person, you know, elderly person who's suffering of cancer. I mean, you do anything to make them feel better. And if this helps them feel better, then the doctor should be able to prescribe.
0: So once it's done, assuming that it may pass because there is a lot of public support Um, then a system will have to be implemented. Mm -hmm. And I guess the legislature or the governor, a combination of the two, would get involved.
1: We we right now have regulations for doctors prescribing medicine, and um, that's exactly what we need. We need to make sure that we we trust our doctors and those that are not doing things right. Like we know it happens with some really, really dangerous drugs um, just right here in this area, especially in the Broward area. Those are the people we need to prosecute, and those are the people we need to go after. But you know what? There's also Medicaid fraud, Medicare fraud, um, and uh, Rick Scott. The kind of money that's how corporation committed. That's how he made a lot of his money. He, uh, you know, uh, his company where he was CEO uh, was fined with the biggest fraud ever in the history of the United States, the biggest fine ever. And I will tell you, it's really interesting because just now he had a bill that he could have signed uh, to actually prosecute Medicare uh, fraud. What did he do? He vetoed it. So, I mean, it's just unbelievable. He still has interest in these companies. Um, he's still making money off of these companies, and he doesn't want us to spend any money prosecuting anybody trying to steal. So, I mean, that's the, the sharp contrast that our voters uh, face, and I hope that they um, go out and vote so that we can get our state back to the people.
0: So let's wrap up here. Tell me in thirty seconds why should the voters of Florida vote for Annette Tadeo and Charlie Crist?
1: Because we need to get our state back Um, as a working mom, a small business owner, uh, somebody who knows what it's like to meet a payroll and you know at times wonder if you're going to be able to do it. We need a regular voice uh, up in Tallahassee, not special interests, not big corporations. We need to give the governor's uh, mansion back to the people.
0: Annette, thank you so much for joining us on the Only in Miami show tonight.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it. That was fun.
0: We'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern, and you can find the show online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, where you can find our podcasts, Facebook, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, and this episode tomorrow, Only in Miami.
2: This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, not Grant Stern, but the Drastic Fanatic, and I'll be taking you to the 9 o'clock hour tonight. First, we're going to start off and discuss about a big concert coming into town here um, on August 9th at the Community Arts and Culture Center. We're going to have a caller on the line here from Jose Elias, and he's going to be discussing Exactly what goes on on the sixteenth uh, rendition of this uh, festival, Hello? Jose, on the line. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, how are
3: you? I'm good. And yourself, man? What's going
2: on? All is well. All is well. Thank you. So, uh, tell our listeners out there what can we expect coming up here at the show.
3: Well, this year, you know, we we got something that's you know different from from the previous years. We always like to focus on the evolution of African culture, and this year uh, definitely is a great example that a lot of the bands represent that, you know, in, like, reggae and afrobeat, uh, funk, Latin, and soulful sound. So we brought some of the best that Miami and South Florida has to offer this year, uh, of course, with Swenelo and uh, the Resolvers. As you all know, a lot of two of the... the the hottest bands, uh, you know, representing
2: Absolutely. Uh,
3: that evolution of African culture in our community. And, uh, and of course, we always like to bring in an African artist every year. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, we've been bringing in a lot of artists from out of town. This year, we have Morikeva Kuyate, who is a uh, Senegalese kora player. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a kora is, it's an African harp that consists of 21 strings and uh he plays music uh that would be considered uh um uh, uh storytelling by most which they they call in, in africa they call these storytellers griots and they tell stories through music so uh, this uh, gentleman morikeba Kuyate, who i've had the pleasure to meet and know now for about uh six seven years
2: mm-hmm.
3: is uh, uh his lineage goes back 700 years wow um of of being uh, you know, choral, master choral player and, and of course a griot. So he has a lot a lot of songs on under his repertoire to That's say like, the
2: least. Sounds like a like an African blues type of thing, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, you could say that, you know, it is it, it's like, you know, African folk music. You could right. you could you could put it down like that or, you know, it could be like the blues as well, but yeah, it definitely is traditional. And what I'm doing with Moricamba this time around uh, is that, you know, since we're presenting something more of a fusion type vibe at the festival this year, I'm putting together a band around him, um, you know, including myself on guitar and tres and a bass player and a drummer and a, and a guest percussionist to come on as well, uh, to do a collaboration with him for his performance. So that's going to be something that's only going to be seen at the festival. Uh, uh, we like to take pride in, in, in that we always present unique, um, uh, shows at the festival uh, which usually consists of different artists collaborating at the festival. You only find it at the festival and uh, this year uh, we have that going on with Morikeba, and we also have a new thing we're starting off with the Musician at Large theme uh, where we're going to have Tomas Diaz from the Spam All Stars, uh, the timbalero and singer of, of the group uh, jumping up and, and performing with most of the bands that are that are going to be playing at the festival as well.
2: Nice. So tell our viewers where exactly is uh, the festival going to be held? Be held.
3: It's going to be held at 7th Circus Studios. That's over in uh, Little Haiti, across from the Little Haiti Cultural Center. The address is 228 Northeast 59th Street.
2: Okay. And where can we uh, go online and find out some more information?
3: Go to AfroRootsFest.com. And uh, you'll be able to purchase your tickets, get more information on the artists, and also on some free satellite events that we have going on leading up to the festival itself. So yeah, get all your information on AfroRootsFest.com.
2: All right, great. We're looking forward to that. Now, everything takes place on one stage, or is it? Uh, what's the layout?
3: Yeah, it's basically the the, the main event is gonna is gonna consist of five performances. Uh, on the same stage and in between sets we're going to have DJ La Spam spinning uh, his uh, nice collection of world music which he of course you know he has <laughs> and yep. uh, that's basically it is we're going to keep it very simple very focused on the music as, as we always do uh, but definitely we're going to we're going to make it more intimate this year and and have everyone performing on the same stage
2: and the concert starts at 8 p.m. correct
3: Doors open at 8 p.m. and the first act goes on at 8:30, which is Miami Street Band, uh, and they're like a brass band that's played uh, a lot. They got popular uh, by playing at the Miami as the Miami Heat uh, Street Band, uh, but they're okay. independent yep. of the Heat, and so they're kind of like a, like a like a Miami brass band. You know, we don't have enough of those down here. We we have them in New Orleans, but you know, this is kind of a a unique thing. So I definitely uh, you know wanted to bring them on board. They're gonna kick things off at 8:30. Um, and, again, if you want to get more information on the lineup as far as who when uh, the bands are playing and when who's playing, whatever, you could go, to the, again, to afterrootsfest.com and, and click on the schedule uh, link there on the right upper right-hand side.
2: Actually, we have uh, O.J. Smith from the Resolvers who's on the other line uh, waiting to jump in here with us.
4: Hey, how you doing?
2: Hey, O.J., how are you? All right. All right, so... Uh, we're getting the all-stars here together. Um, yeah, man.
4: <laughs> I'm excited. Is, is this your first
2: time you're going to be playing at the festival, OJ? Yeah,
4: this is our first time at the Afro Roots Festival, yeah. We, we've heard about it. I've actually attended one or two, and it, it's, a, it's a good show.
2: Nice. And uh, what, do, what can we expect to, uh, to see the Resolvers bring to the table to the show?
4: Well, you're going to expect uh, the Resolvers to bring definitely... Their A game. We always bring <laughs> our A game. <laughs> there you go. Uh, just a big high energy show with um, uh, a definite feel good vibe that everyone's going to definitely nice.
2: enjoy. And, and you perform with your sister, correct?
4: Yes. yes it's just the two of you? Uh, it's me, my sister. Uh, we're all family, though. The, the, those are those are all my brothers. There you, you go. know Basically, everybody else are. They're all my brothers. We're all family. But my sister is my blood, yeah. There you go.
2: Nice. And it's, uh, they, they call it a big band reggae type.
4: Yeah, big band reggae. Full horn line. Um, really brassy sound of a, a jazz fusion reggae, you know, with a little bit of New Orleans, New Orleans swinging in it.
2: All right, great. Well, we're looking forward to it. We're actually going to have a, a contest here for tickets to the show. Uh, Our number is 305-541-2350 And if you're the eighth caller To call in right now You're going to actually win tickets To the festival Which should be a great time And um, a lot of of flavors of music That's going to be represented here From what I could see I mean Everything sounds like one big fusion
4: (laughs) Yeah Right? Well that's Yeah music has to go in that direction You know it has to Fuse and bring other cultures together That's what it's That's
2: what it's here for. All right. Again, that number is 305-541-2350. Give us a call. Win tickets to this great festival. We're going to take a short break and be right back. And the only e. Miami show, so how about that, OJ? We threw we threw a nice. little resolvers on there for you.
4: Yeah,
2: man. <laughs> that's what's up. So, um, how'd you guys get into big band reggae? Where'd you Where'd you Um, is that was that was that like an existing genre, or you guys kind of cooked it no, up yourselves?
4: We kind of cooked it up ourselves. Yeah. It uh, well, we we started out as a five piece, and we we were doing well with that, and then we had this gig at uh. A Live Nation gig wasn't really paying much, so we decided to show <laughs> up the headliner and like hire hire some horn players. Right. So we hired the horn players and did a good job. Of, you know, we accomplished what we wanted to do, but decided to keep them.
5: Yeah, if it, if if it ain't broad, don't fix them, it, right? and
4: yeah, <laughs> they they become our brothers since. So and yeah, we just cooked up the, the, the rest. History you the same, right? Yeah. Huh?
2: So I get, and I say, the, the rest is history, as they say Yeah,
4: the rest is history yeah.
2: <laughs> So, I guess, Jose, you're still with us, right?
4: Yep, still here, buddy
2: So, um, tell us, I guess, uh, we heard a little bit of the Resolvers here I mean, the, the different acts that are also going to be playing Is it similar stories? Or, like, people just cooked up their own type of music? or
3: You know, I, I think that's that's pretty much the case for a lot of bands here in Miami, man. You know, we got a lot to draw from, lots of cultures, you know, and uh, and for the most part, I think everything coming out of Miami in the last 20-plus years, I would say you, you get a lot of that. You get a lot of that gumbo, you know, and uh, <laughs> the music is definitely a reflection of what's going on. Um, and again, you know, the the festival celebrates... The evolution of African culture, which is everything from the Caribbean to South America to North America—you name it. I mean, you know, there's a Miami lot of is. music that that's that's come, you know, over the the last you know century. You know, and uh, it's it's great. You know, I mean, we're we're happy. We're we I think we're very lucky to have what we have. Man, there's a lot of non here that's not happening nowhere like New York or in Los Angeles. And I see that from traveling and, and touring with with the different bands that I work with, that definitely we have something unique going on here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't know if you could tell, but I am a New Yorker. And um, in New York, it's all there's no. It is a melting pot, you know, um, but it's not a music melting pot. Like you won't get different. It's it's very culturally divided, you know. Yeah. So I guess uh, this is true Miami flavor music
3: absolutely man absolutely and we every year we try to present the best locally and then of course bring in some of the national and international flavor um which you know we're looking uh, every year to expand on and grow and and develop
2: and this is what the 16th 16th running right
3: yep absolutely
2: wow so obviously it's working
3: yep <laughs> <laughs> Definitely.
2: How big how big is the uh how big is the arena?
3: How big is the arena? Of Seven circuit studios? Yeah. Well, uh I would say
2: How many party goers are we gonna pack into that place?
3: Oh man, let's uh let's let's say I, I, I'm 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 of the opinion that I, I never like to predi- do any predictions or, or have any expectations so but that we they do they're not anyway. met, I won't be disappointed. But uh I I, I have I have a feeling, my instincts tell me that we're going to have a very good turnout this year. Uh, the bands are, you know, obviously they, they all do really well as far as the draw, and we we have something, you know, that is unique enough that I'm sure people are going are to gonna want to see what's going on. And like I said, we offer things, uh, collaborate, like collaborations, musical collaborations at this festival that don't happen anywhere else. You know, every year we got something going on that's only going to happen at the event you know so that's another I think reason why people should check it out because definitely they're gonna see not only uniqueness in in all these different cultures and stuff but you're also going to catch maybe some you know some musicians from one local band collaborating with another one of the bands performing you know which Tomas Diaz for example musician at large is what we're doing with him this year He's going to be performing probably with about three to four different bands that are that are slated to perform, you know. So uh, that alone right there is going to be something that's not going to be seen uh, or it's not seen commonly, you know. Right. And, and uh, it's, it's unique to the show itself.
2: African Fusion remixes, so to speak, right?
3: Yeah, you know.
2: <laughs> I hear you. All right, great. I'm going to give out that number again. It's 305-541-2350. We're still waiting for... The eighth caller to call in. Um, we're almost there. <laughs> um, so OJ, talk to me. Uh, where where's the most recent spots you've been playing around? Do you mostly play in um, in the Miami area, or are you all over the nation?
4: We're we we're pretty much all over the East Coast right now. Okay. Uh, we just did, got off a tour with Groundation. We did a, a ten week, uh, I mean a ten day tour with them and hit a couple places tennessee south carolina north carolina jacksonville and really brought the spirit of south florida with us you know we uh we made some friends and and met a lot of new people and
2: yep where and are you guys originally from impact.
4: we're originally from fort lauderdale uh, deerfield oh, okay. beach there you go deerfield beach right? yeah so the local flavor. yeah that's our hometown we, we uh have a once a month there in uh jb's on the beach uh it's the last sunday of the month we do it every month except for last month because we were we were on tour but uh, yeah it's it's a great show we got a big turnout there and it's a good party yeah
2: any any surprises in for us here any remixes
4: uh, remixes, uh, every once in a while, uh, my father comes through, you know, when he's in town, my father's Ernie Smith, he's a singer-songwriter uh, from Jamaica, and he'll come in and sit in with us every once in a while, That's or, cool. yeah, sometimes yeah. he brings his friends uh Pluto Shervington sometimes, uh, Kenny, Kenny Lazarus, uh, yeah, we, we we like to mix it up and bring on special guests as well,
2: very cool. All right. So, uh, Jose, why don't you tell our uh, listeners again the website and uh, when when everything's going to happen here.
3: Okay. The website uh, for Afro Roots Festival is afrorootsfest.com. The uh, event's going to be taking place this Saturday, August 9th. The door's open at 8 p.m. It's going to be at 7th Circuit Studios, uh, 228 Northeast 59th Street in the heart of Little Haiti just across the street from the Little Haiti Cultural Center. And, again, if you want to find out more information, get your tickets, get the schedule, uh, more information on the lineup and other satellite events that we're doing, we also do a youth kids event uh, that Saturday earlier in the day. And we also have a kickoff party uh, on Thursday night with the NOG champions, a kickoff party. If you want to get more information on that, just go to the website, Afterrootsfest.com, and you'll get all the information you need.
2: Excellent. We're definitely looking forward to it. And I'd like to thank Jared Brandeman, who's actually our eighth caller. He's our winner of the tickets. Um, so congratulations to you, and, and definitely enjoy the show. It sounds like uh, a place to be. I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, didn't know much about it before, I'll be honest. I'm actually new new to the area, but um, I'm all about good music, so you could definitely uh, Looking forward to meeting you guys there.
4: Yeah, thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Definitely. Thank you.
2: Thank you. All right, we're going to hit the uh, pay the bills here now, take a little break, and we'll be right back talking sports. The drastic fanatic hour is about to kick off.